0: Welcome to Linworth Road Church, helping people become fully alive, fully mature, and fully on mission. Visit LinworthRoadChurch.com to learn more. Christ is coming again. It's true, even among people who don't claim to be Christians. A Gallup poll found recently that 66% of all Americans believe that Jesus Christ is coming again to this earth sometime in the near future. And by the way, that was 25% more than those who claimed to be born-again Christians. You know, as people look at the way the world is going today, there's a sense even among non-believers that Christ may come back again to set things right. It's mentioned all throughout the Bible. It's taught in the great creeds of the church. It's in our statement of faith. And Jesus Himself promised that He would return again to this earth in power and great glory. And in Matthew 24, he emphasized the events that would take place before the end of the age. And it was in this context that he gave the parable of the 10 virgins in Matthew 25 to show the importance of being ready for his return. Now, would you stand with me as we read God's word, the words of Jesus, the parable of the 10 virgins in Matthew 25? Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. You may be seated. Now, while this parable would have been easily understood by the people of the first century, it may be a little perplexing to us. You see, Jesus was describing a first century wedding that's very much different than our weddings today. You know, today weddings last no longer than an hour, maybe 90 minutes, followed by a reception. But a Jewish wedding in Jesus' day could last for days. And here's the thing. No one really knew when the bridegroom would arrive. And as a result, everyone would be dressed and ready. And once the bridegroom showed up, there would be an announcement made, the bridegroom's here, the bridegroom's here. And then the wedding would begin. Now, it could happen at noon or it could happen at midnight. The point was, you needed to be ready because He could come at any moment. So with this backdrop in mind, everyone understood what Jesus was saying. Well, this morning, what does the return of Christ mean to us? As true believers, what do we learn from this parable? What does His return mean to us? Well, there are at least three things from this parable that we learn that we should keep in mind about the second coming of Jesus Christ. First, The need to stay awake. We need to stay awake. Notice in this parable that all the virgins fell asleep. Now, when we say virgins, we could also speak of them as young girls or bridesmaids, and I may refer to them uh, like that throughout this morning. But why did they fall asleep? Verse 5 tells us, As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Some translations, for instance, the NIV says, the bridegroom was a long time in coming. You see, they had been waiting and waiting, and finally, they all fell asleep. With a Jewish wedding, first the couple would get engaged. Then the bridegroom would leave. He would leave to go and prepare a home for him and his bride. And this could take a long time, especially when you're a young couple and you're eager to get married. And sometimes he could be gone for maybe a year. But anyway, a long time. And then, finally, the bridegroom would come back to get his bride. Now, after speaking of his second coming in Matthew 24, Jesus gave this parable and several others to prepare his disciples for what would turn out to be a long absence. In these parables, Jesus used imagery to say to his disciples, Guys, I'm going, and I'm coming back. But it's going to be a long time. You know, it may seem at times that the Lord is delaying His coming, and we wonder, why hasn't He come sooner? I remember when I first became a Christian back in the early 70s, and lots of people were talking about the return of Jesus Christ. The top-selling book of that entire decade was The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. I'm not endorsing that book. I'm just saying it was the top-selling book of the entire decade. And it spoke about Bible prophecy and the signs of the times. It was the 70s. Long hair, bell-bottom pants, platform shoes, double-knit fabric. Man, were we cool. (laughs) And the Doobie Brothers were singing, Jesus is just all right with me. And you know what? He was just all right. It seemed to be the Jesus generation. And driving around, you'd see bumper stickers with slogans like, Maranatha, Jesus is coming. In case of rapture, this car will be left unmanned. Or maybe a a bumper sticker that says, Get right or get left. Got to think about that one for a moment. But you know, there there was an expectancy that we could be the generation that would see the return of Jesus Christ. You know, that was over 40 years ago. And a lot of eager Christians have gone through a lot of Jesus' coming bumper stickers. Was our hope displaced? Did we get it wrong? No. Not at all. The fact is, the Lord is not late. He's right on schedule. He's paying close attention to what's going on in the world, and He has a day and an hour when He will return. And Jesus said, no one knows that day or hour. We don't know when He's coming. It could be a hundred years from now. We don't know. But one thing we do know, He is coming. Jesus will return just as He promised. Look at what He said here in Matthew 24, just before He spoke this parable. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 29. He said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, He will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. So stay awake. We need to stay awake because one thing we know for sure, He is coming. You know, there may be a reason why Jesus didn't come in the 70s as we were hoping. Think of this. Since that time, millions and millions of people have come to Christ who have put their faith and trust in Him. The Bible reminds us in 2 Peter 3.9, he isn't really being slow about his promised return, even though it sometimes seems that way. But he is waiting for the good reason that he's not willing that any should perish, and he is giving more time for sinners to repent. The Lord isn't late. He's waiting for people to believe, to put their faith and trust in him. Now, here's how the Apostle Paul urges to live in the light of his return. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, Paul said, So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert. Let us be awake and sober. You know, I believe there are people today who are asleep in the church regarding the second coming of Christ. You know, the truth is people fall asleep in church all the time. Never in this church, of course, never. But not just physically fall asleep, but spiritually as well. You see, we can hear the Word of God, but if we don't put it to work in our life, if we don't apply it to our lives, if we don't put it into practice, we can become spiritually lethargic. We need to let the truths of God's Word move us. Move us to obedience. Move us to action. Move us to a closer relationship with God. So we need to stay awake because we have never been closer to the Lord's return than we are right now. That I can guarantee you. And then secondly, we're to be watching for His return. Watching for His return. The reason Jesus gave this parable is so that we'd be watching. Look how He ends the parable again in verse 13. He says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now that doesn't mean we're to stand around looking up into the sky. But while we're waiting and watching, we're to be working. We're to be working serving the Lord so many things we can be due to serving the Lord. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Helping people grow in Christ. Helping the poor and needy. Raising godly children. Serving the Lord. Working while we're waiting. Now, although Jesus warned us about speculating on the exact time of his return, I believe he did give us signs to watch for. Signs that I believe are coming together today. Now, yes, I know that godly people differ on this topic. I have friends that don't hold the same view as I do. They may see signs differently than I do. Some see no signs. Some people see too many signs. They see signs that really aren't signs. And you know, when it comes to signs, some are easier to read than others. Some signs are clear, and some signs are not so clear. You know, this is especially true when you're overseas and you're faced with a language barrier. The other day I heard about a sign in a Swedish Swedish store that sold fur coats in Sweden. But the sign read in English, fur coats made for ladies from their own skin. Ladies, if you're ever in Sweden, I'd stay away from that store, okay? I wouldn't go near it. And then I heard about a detour sign in Japan that read, Stop! Drive sideways. Now that's interesting. Very, very clever. And then there was a sign from a Copenhagen ticket office. We take your bags and send them in all directions. You know, I can think of a number of airlines that could have adopted that motto. (laughs) Have you ever experienced that? I have. Well, the truth is, some signs are clearer than others. Some are easy to read. Some are are more difficult to read. In the Bible, God has given us signs that we can watch for. And I believe a few of those are right here in Matthew 24. It's called the Olivet Discourse. It's also in Luke 21 and Mark 13. But Matthew 24 opens with Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives, exactly where the prophet Zechariah predicted that Jesus would return. And the disciples came to him privately and asked, what will, Lord, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And in this discourse, Jesus described the world prior to his return. He painted a picture of a planet stirred by strife and war and suffering and pestilence, a planet rocked by great earthquakes Famine in the midst of plenty, and fearful events. You know, you can't even watch the news today without hearing about a fearful event. Somewhere, a fearful event, a fearful sight. All around the world, people are living in fear. And then Jesus indicated that before His return, there'd be an increase in earthquakes. Now, of course, we've always had earthquakes and tsunamis. But there's no doubt that they have dramatically increased in recent years. You know, the other day I did something really high-tech. I googled. I googled earthquakes, and here's what I found. A science news report stated that the annual number of great earthquakes nearly tripled over the last decade. And that's true of the last five decades. Not that they tripled, but there's been an increase over the last five decades. But not just minor quakes, but massive quakes, 8.0 or more on on the scale coming at a level and a frequency like we've never seen before that have claimed the lives of hundreds and thousands of people. Jesus told us, you'll see an increase in earthquakes. We have. And that's a sign of the times It's difficult to miss. And then in Matthew 24, 4, Jesus said, Watch out that no one deceives you. At least three times in this chapter, Jesus warned us of deception and false prophets. The Bible plainly teaches that one of the characteristics of the end of the age is that people would be given to deception rather than to believe the truth. You know, I've never seen so many people deceived as they are today. People deceived about sexuality. We don't know what bathroom to go in. People deceived about religion. About the nature of Islam, for example. People deceived in politics. People deceived about what's right and wrong. We live in a culture that says good is evil and evil is good. You know, there's so many people who are deceived and confused. As John Hoppler spoke about just a couple weeks ago, and as we saw in the video that he showed. And if you didn't see that video, I'd encourage you to, to, to watch it and to listen to his teaching. It was just a couple of weeks ago. But if there was ever a time when we need to know the truth of God's Word, it's today. Because only when we know the truth of God's Word can we combat the lies of the devil that we get bombarded with every day. Then Jesus warned it would be a time of persecution. He said there'll be martyrs. And that Christians would be hated all over the world. Did you know that Christians are now the most persecuted group worldwide? More than twice as many believers were killed for their faith in 2015 than in 2014, making it the worst year ever on record. More Christians have been killed during the last 50 years than any other time in the history of the Christian church. Just in this past year, more than 7,100 brothers and sisters were killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And you know, certainly we're seeing more and more persecution right here in our own country. It seems to be coming more and more. Revelation 7 describes a great multitude from every nation that have gone to heaven having sealed their testimony with their own blood. And then Jesus said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most would grow cold. He said there'll be an increase of wickedness. He indicated that as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Do you know what marked the days of Noah? Violence, corruption, immorality. Those were the things that marked the days of Noah. And think of the violence today. The violence on our televisions, in our movies, even the games we play, and in our society, stabbing, shootings, terrorism, and then Corruption. My goodness, think of the corruption in government and just corruption everywhere. And then immorality. Jesus said morality would be as it was in the days of Noah. You know, we're seeing that today. A breakdown of morals on a scale that's almost unbelievable. Moral permissiveness has become a part of our culture The world is on an immoral bench such as it has not been known even in the days of Rome. But then another sign. Another sign is the worldwide proclamation of the gospel. Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. And today, all around the world, people are coming to Christ. People in the Middle East, Muslims, coming to Christ in Asia and Africa. And for the first time in history, the gospel is being proclaimed by television and radio and missionaries all throughout the world. And you know what? We get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. What a wonderful time to be sharing the gospel. To be sharing the love of Christ with a lost world. There's never been a greater time to share the gospel. There's never been a more urgent need and I don't think the human heart's ever been better prepared than in these days we're living in today. And there are so many, many more signs. The regathering of the nation of Israel to its ancient homeland and then being surrounded by enemies. Global turmoil. A move toward a one world currency. Signs. I believe they're signs of the time. And today, all throughout the world, many Bible scholars and pastors feel that these signs are converging like they never have before. Now I know, yes, in a sense, we've heard it all before and time has marched on, but if we're watching, we're paying attention to the signs, I believe the evidence just keeps mounting and escalating in intensity and frequency. And then thirdly, we're to be ready for His return. Ready for His return. In this parable, Jesus said five of the virgins were wise and five of the virgins were foolish. What was the difference? The five that were wise, they were ready. The foolish girls didn't bring any oil for the lamps, and so when the time finally came, they had to go out and buy oil. Verse 10 says, And while they were going to buy oil, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. Jesus said the wise took flask of oils with their lamp. You know, we might say, check to make sure that the batteries in your flashlight are fresh, that they're good. You ever had the power go out and you looked for a flashlight and you looked all around and you finally found it, you go to turn it on and it's dead. You know, that's not wise. Because if you need a flashlight, you really need a flashlight. And you want to make sure that it's ready to go when the need arises. And that's the idea being portrayed here in this parable. In other words, always be prepared. Be ready. Because Jesus said in Matthew 24, 44, He said, So you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. You know, when Kelly and I go to California to see our daughter and our son-in-law, we always pack our bags the night before. And uh, we get everything ready so that we're ready because we leave early in the morning. And that's the idea here in this parable. That we, in a sense, would have our bags packed, setting by the door, ready. Why? Because we could leave this world at any moment. Either by death or when Jesus Christ returns. And so here's the question I ought to ask myself periodically. Periodically when I'm about to go to a certain place or do a certain thing, would I be ashamed if Jesus came back right when I was in the middle of it? You know, if the answer to that question is yes, then I ought not be doing that. Then I should not be going to that place. And the question we have to ask, are there secret sins in our lives that would cause us to be ashamed when Christ returns? Jesus said in Luke 21, He warned, He said, Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxiety of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. The truth is, there are many who study Bible prophecy. They get all excited about it and consumed with it. But listen, if it's not impacting us in the way that we live, then we're simply missing the point. Listen to 1 John 3, uh, beginning in verse 2, from the message translation. What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him, and in seeing him, become like him. All of us who look forward to his coming stay ready with the glistening purity of Jesus' life as a model for our own. Stay ready, stay steady. Stay pure. The Bible says everyone who really believes in the hope of Christ's return purifies himself just as he is pure. You see, living in the light of his return should make a difference in how we live. It ought to motivate us to live for Christ. The Apostle Peter adds these words in 2 Peter 3. He says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Notice it says, since you're looking forward to this. In other words, since you're earnestly desiring this, anxiously awaiting, not dreading it, but looking forward to it. You see, to be ready and watching implies that we not only believe that Christ will come someday, but to desire that He will come to often be thinking of it, to be looking for it always. Paul wrote, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The blessed hope. You know, years ago, when I was in high school, I was a senior in high school, and my mother urged me to visit an elderly woman. This woman had been my Sunday school teacher when I was younger. And now she was older and she was basically a shut-in, and she couldn't get out much. And I would go over and visit her, and when I came to see her, she'd just light up. And we'd sit down on the couch, and she'd talk, and she was a godly woman. And she'd look at me, and she'd say, Michael, when I got up this morning, when I get up every morning, I wonder, is this the day that Jesus will come back? Or is this the day that He'll call me home to be with Him? And she'd look at me, and she'd say, Michael, I can't wait to see Jesus. I can't wait to be with Him. I can't wait to go to heaven. You know, that's how we should be waiting for the Lord's return. Not with dread, but with joyful, anxious anticipation, with excitement. Is that how you feel? You know, sometimes we may not. C.S. Lewis once said, the reason some people don't want to believe that Christ will return is that it would interrupt their plans and the dreams they have for this world. We don't want Jesus to come and interrupt our plans or the dreams we have. The Bible ends with Jesus saying, yes, I am coming soon. and We along with the Apostle John should be able to respond, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And anything in our lives that would cast a shadow over that answer is out of place. Going back to our parable this morning, can you imagine the five girls who were ready? Can you imagine their joy? Verse 10 says, when the bridegroom came, those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. Think of the joy. The wedding banquet was one of the most joyous occasions in Jewish life. And sometimes they would party for up to a week. The Bible says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed, the joy of being with Christ. Paul said to be with Christ is far better. When Jesus Christ comes again, what a glorious time it's going to be. He's going to set up his kingdom of righteousness. Evil will be destroyed. The devil will be bound. There'll be no more hatred. No more greed. No more war. No more death. No more pain. No more cancer. No more tears. He'll wipe every tear from our eyes. No need to fear. No worries. He'll he'll take care of everything. This earth will become a planet of peace. But only but only when the Prince of Peace returns. But for those who are not ready, those who are not prepared, His return will come as a devastating shock. It will be a time of judgment. Jesus said in this parable, while the five foolish bridesmaids went to buy oil, the bridegroom came, and the door was shut. And And when they returned, they pleaded, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. Open, Lord. But it was too late. And all the pleading in the world wouldn't open the door. This is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. I'm sure they had their bridesmaids' dresses on. They looked as though they were in the wedding party. They had their lamps. They were waiting with the other girls. But they were not ready. Jesus said, I don't know you. I fear this could be a picture of a person who appears to be a Christian, but in fact really isn't. Someone who's in the church, but really doesn't know Christ. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He said, Many will say to me on that day. Notice, many will say unto me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, drive out demons, perform many miracles? then he said, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. When the cry rang out at midnight, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. The foolish virgins pleaded with the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. But you see, we learn from this parable that spiritual preparation can't be bought or borrowed or transferred at the last minute. We must all own our own relationship with God. Your parents may have a relationship with God. Your children may have a relationship with God. Maybe your friends do or your spouse has a relationship with God. But do you have a relationship with God? Does Jesus Christ live in your heart? Do you know Him? Are you ready for His return? Carefully watching the signs and longing to see Him. Or are there things in your life you need to get right with God? Are there secret sins that you need to confess and renounce? You see, this is still an age of grace. God's loving offer of forgiveness and a new life still stands. And we have His wonderful promise that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to purify us from all unrighteousness. One day the door will be closed. One day it will be too late. That's why the Bible continually warns now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now, today. Nowhere in the Bible does it say tomorrow. That's why it's so important that we're proclaiming the gospel. That's why it's so important that we're asking people to come to Christ because this is still a day of grace. The door is still open. Last week, Rich shared one of my favorite parables, the parable of the one lost sheep. And you remember the story. The shepherd had a hundred sheep, and one of them wandered off and got lost. And the shepherd left in 99, and he went in search of the one lost sheep. And when he found the sheep, he put it on his shoulders, and he rejoiced. And they went back, and they had a party. And, And Jesus said, in the same way, I tell you, that all of heaven rejoices when just one sinner repents and comes to Christ. And maybe here this morning, maybe there's just just one lost sheep. Maybe there's just one whom God loves so very, very much, whom Jesus died for and gave His life for. And maybe you're here this morning, and you're lost, because you can't say for sure i know i'm ready for his return you can't say for sure i if if i died today i'm not sure that my sins are forgiven i'm not sure that i would go to heaven and you're lost and you say what would i have to do cuz you want to be ready you're a good person you've been in the church What would you have to do? Repent of your sins? Admit to God that you're a sinner? Humble yourself before him and say, Oh God, I've sinned. Please forgive me. Help me to turn from my sin. And then by faith, look to the cross where Jesus died for you, where God's love was poured out for you. And ask him to come into your heart, into your life. Because you see, there's another door that Jesus spoke about, the door of your heart. And he said, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. And he said, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he said, I'll come in. He'll come in, he'll forgive every sin. He'll give you the gift of eternal life. You'll have a peace you've never known before and you'll know that you're ready. I'm going to give you an opportunity to make sure that you're ready here in just a minute as we close in prayer. And if that's a desire of your heart, you say, I want to know my sins are forgiven. I want to know that I'm going to heaven. I want to know that I'm ready. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer right right now this morning with me. Pray it from your heart. And the Bible promises whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love that was Poured out for us on the cross. Thank you that you died for our sins. You rose again from the dead. You're coming again one day. But thank you that right now you stand at the door of our heart and you knock. Now you said that if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, you promise to come in. So Father, if there's just one lost sheep here this morning, would you help them? Would you give them grace to pray this prayer right now? From their heart. Oh God, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. And I ask that you'd forgive me and help me to turn from my sin. Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and I want you to come into my heart, into my life. Make me the person you want me to be and help me to follow you with all my heart. I ask this in Jesus' name. And Father, for us who know You, would You help each one of us, Lord, to be ready for Your return. If there's sins that need to be confessed, need to be renounced, would You give us grace to do that? Would You help us to be ready, Lord, to make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and pure and at peace with you. And Lord, help us to be working while we're waiting, working for the kingdom of God. We thank you and we look forward to that glorious day when you will return. In Jesus' name, amen.